This is The Guardian. Today, how vegan meat alternatives lost their sizzle. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When Beyond Meat launched its beef style burger seven years ago, it was a revelation. It is tasty, it tastes like beef and has a nice bite to it. This is definitely hands down the best vegan vegetarian burger I've ever had. The most meat-like for sure. That just tastes like a, just a straight up beef burger to me. Here was a vegan product that not only looked, smelled and tasted like a fried beef patty, it bled like one too. Well, it bled beetroot juice. This looks freaking good. Frankly, I love the look of this. I like how it cooks similarly to actual meat. Like, it starts pink and then you can actually kind of decide how rare you want it to be, which I think is cool. And this burger would be so much kinder to the environment than one made with beef. The company claimed it used 99% less water and 93% less land. What if it didn't even stop there and we used less land and energy? Put less greenhouse gases into the air. What if it was already happening? What if just taking the animal out of the meat made us and our planet healthier? The hype grew. Beyond Meat got their products into the meat aisles of supermarkets. They signed deals with KFC and McDonald's. Their product line expanded to chicken-style nuggets, sausages, mints. And they were endorsed by Snoop Dogg, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kim Kardashian. I believe so much in the mission of Beyond Meat that I've stepped in to help with my greatest asset, my taste. This plant-based meat... At its peak in 2019, the company was valued at $10 billion, around £7.9 billion. And for a food writer like B. Wilson, who's concerned with the environmental impact of our food... It was fascinating to see how meat eaters, like herself, were turning towards these products. So in the really late 2010s, I'd say between 2016 and 2019, it just felt as if there was this vegan revolution where suddenly you could hardly go to a restaurant without seeing one of these bleeding burgers or go to a supermarket without suddenly seeing this whole range of plant-based meat substitutes that just hadn't been there before. But now... Beyond Meat is faltering. Sales have fallen by over 30% in the last year, and the company's laid off a fifth of its employees. All right, rough times for Beyond Meat, the company losing money and amassing debt. A dip in investor confidence and falling sales in its largest, fastest-growing market has delivered a shock to the plant-based meat industry. So the fake meat is heading to a landfill near you. Fake meat, fake news. Some analysts have blamed the cost of living crisis, and certainly, vegan alternatives do tend to cost a bit more than meat. This is an issue that's affecting the whole industry. 
Meatless Farm, a UK-based company that made sausages, burgers, mints and chicken-style pieces, has gone into administration this year. Heck has slimmed down its product line of vegan sausages massively. And now the novelty's worn off this type of product. People are seriously questioning whether highly processed plant-based alternatives are any good for our health. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, beyond the vegan meat boom. It's clear that more and more of us are incorporating plant-based alternatives into our diets, whether that's oat milk or a cheese substitute, dairy-free ice cream, fake meat. In the UK last year, people spent more than £900 million on these products. Why do you think that is? There's a whole range of reasons. You only really have to look at the stats on climate change, they're just very clear data showing that a high percentage of methane in the world is caused by cattle. Mm. So I think one huge reason is sustainability. Animal welfare has always been an obvious reason. And I think the more documentaries there are out there exposing the horrors of the animal system of factory farming, the more people start to think either I only ever want to eat free-range meat or organic meat, or I never want to eat meat again. And then health is another huge one. There's pretty good data from epidemiology. It can only show correlation, it can't show cause, suggesting that vegetarians consistently have lower rates of things like heart disease and other diet-related ill health. There are just so many more vegetarian and vegan options available now when you go out to eat, aren't there? It's not so many years ago, and I'm vegetarian, that if I went out, the things on offer to me would be a nut roast or, if it was somewhere fancy, a goat's cheese tart. I think that's been an amazing trend. Vegetarian food has always been exciting if you knew where to look. But as you say, in many mainstream British restaurants, your options were so limited. And I remember this from eating out with my sister over the years because she's been vegetarian since she was a child. And I can picture conversations with friends going to restaurants even sort of five years ago in the restaurant saying, well, you should have called ahead if you're vegetarian. And that's thankfully unimaginable now. And even the least creative restaurants will have a reasonable vegetarian option available now, partially because of the easy availability of these plant-based burgers, plant-based sausages and things like that, that they can just fry up and serve with some chips. Who are the biggest players in that market? It's changing all the time. In the UK, one of the market leaders has always been corn. I've had meat and tool veg every day of my life. But today, I'm having corn and tool veg instead. Linda McCartney sausages also should be mentioned. But above all, Linda wanted to create food that tasted great, as well as being meat-free. So she did. But all of the supermarkets have their own own brand, vegan meatballs, vegan goujons, vegan fish substitutes, vegan chicken substitutes, vegan steak, 
There's obviously Beyond Burger, there's Impossible Burger. We fed beef lovers a Whopper with no beef. You can't imitate beef, it just tastes better. Turns out these beef lovers love plants too. That's an Impossible Whopper? I'm a damn fool. Impossible Whopper with a patty made from plants, only at Burger King. And the astonishing thing about so many of these products is not just that they look like meat, sometimes smell like meat, but they even bleed like meat, which is either a great concept if you're a meat eater who is desperate to add some more vegetarian options into your diet or maybe a little bit sinister and creepy. They're delicious, cruelty-free, and they bleed? Now everyone can enjoy a juicy burger that's 100% plant-based and they're all the rage. Looks like blood. Yes. But, but it's, it's not. not. It's entirely from yeast, purified protein. It's really salty. That's definitely the weirdest thing I've ever tasted. What did you think when you first heard about the bleeding burger? I felt very curious to see it and to taste it and try it. And it also slightly turned my stomach. I describe in my book the way we eat now. My sister, who, as I say, has been vegetarian for all of these years. And you know, she grew up eating nut roast out of a packet where you'd add a bit of water and then bake it in the oven and it was quite dry. But she's always bought meat substitutes because she's pressed for time and doesn't enjoy cooking as much as I do. But I remember the first one of these burgers I tasted actually didn't bleed, but it was really uncannily accurate. We had taken our respective children to a fun fair in Philadelphia where she lives, and it was 2015. And I went to buy burgers, and some of her kids are vegetarian, some aren't. So I'd got a mix of things and I handed my sister her burger and then she just spat it out and she said, you give me the wrong one. And I said, I promise you, look, it says V on the label. And she had just never in all of her years of eating veggie burgers, eaten anything that was so uncannily like meat. And it gave her, as a vegetarian, someone who hadn't tasted meat in years, didn't want to taste meat, gave her really mixed emotions. I definitely felt like that the first time I tried one. And it made me wonder... Who are these expressly beef-style products aimed at? Are they for vegetarians or are they for people who eat meat and maybe want to cut down? You'd think of campaigns like Meat-Free Mondays and Veganuary. The people who organise that say that 700,000 people signed up to it this January worldwide. How much of a part do you think those campaigns have played in getting people to try these sorts of plant-based alternatives? I think they've been hugely successful in persuading people, whether vegetarians, vegans or meat eaters, to add more vegetarian options into their diet. Changing the habits of a lifetime can be a bit daunting. That's why I would urge you to join in with Veganuary. You'll get lots of friendly help and advice. So it's actually really hard to kind of extrapolate consumer behaviour around meat and meat alternatives from what we know about the market. I mean, I saw one market report saying sales of things like vegetarian meatballs don't necessarily mean that people are eating less meat than before. Sometimes people are just taking a meal of pasta, which is usually vegetarian anyway, and adding those vegan meatballs on top. So it's not necessarily that people are switching away from meat. What are the newer generation of plant-based meats actually made of? They're made of a range of different substances. A lot of them are founded on pea protein. 
they've got other things in them like cellulose. They've got things like xanthan gum. I know the Impossible Burger, one of the challenges if you're trying to recreate meat without actually using meat is fat. And people say that a good beef burger should be very marbled. So the Impossible Burger added lots of coconut fat in along with potato protein in order to replicate that. It's going to be a long list of ingredients because it's not that easy to recreate meat. By definition, these products are ultra-processed. Yes, sounds like a lot of ingredients there that people wouldn't have in their kitchen cupboards. What, in terms of science and technology, has made these products possible in the past few years? I think it's been the ambition to make them in the first place. People saw dollar signs. If you listen to the way that the entrepreneurs who set up Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger spoke, they talked about disrupting the entire meat industry. You're telling me that... Those same elements are in Beyond Meat that are in meat. You have found a way to do that. Yes. So I'm very confident that with time, we'll build a piece of meat that's indistinguishable from animal protein. In 10 years, where do you see Impossible Foods? Well, our mission is to completely replace animals in the food system by 2035. So, and you laugh, but we are absolutely serious about it. And I think it's, it's doable. And I'll just say... Better technology wins in the market. So I think the first thing was the desire to do it. And then the second thing, incredibly precise food engineering of a kind that definitely, judging from my memories of veggie burgers in the 80s, it wasn't around then. The answer, heme, a protein essential to all living cells. The iron-containing molecule that makes meat red, but is also responsible for the bloody taste of raw meat and the incredibly intense flavor of cooked meat. To produce heme in massive quantities, the company extracts DNA from soy plants, which have an abundance of heme. That DNA is inserted into genetically modified yeast, which is fermented to produce lots of heme. There was so much hype about these products in the first few years. I remember hearing back in 2016 about how in the US, Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat had both launched these bleeding burgers and they were selling out everywhere. A couple of years later, Beyond comes to the UK. And around that time, you start to see a proliferation of other brands like Meatless Farm, Vivera, Wicked in the supermarkets as well. Veganism. Now there's a trend that's come right out the blue. A year ago, being a vegan wouldn't have had mainstream appeal. Today, it's everywhere. But then, towards the end of last year, several of these companies started to report big losses. The plant-based company Beyond Meat, responsible for those vegan burgers that bleed, has announced a big dip in sales. They're down by nearly a third, and the famous vegan brand has gone from being valued at a massive 10 billion in 2019, all the way down to 981 million. Beyond Meat made a fifth of its workforce redundant. Several companies dropped product lines altogether, And earlier this year, Meatless Farms, which was a UK-based company, went into administration. Why does that seem to have happened? If you look at the cost of something like a Beyond Burger, they're extremely cheap compared to if you were to go out and buy your own top-of-the-range, artisanal, grass-fed beef and grind it up yourself. The Beyond Burger is much, much, much cheaper. But 
compared to a supermarket-owned brand beef burger or a supermarket-owned brand veggie sausage, they're expensive and people are just on the edge financially at the moment. And then I actually think that part of what's going on, and as someone who loves to cook, I'm really excited by this, is that it's not that people are turning away from vegetarian diets, it's that people are realising they can achieve something more sustainable, more delicious and more satisfying by making it themselves. So something I've been looking at lately is mushroom sales around the world. Mm. And I think that current global mushroom sales are something like $50 billion. They're forecast to reach more than $100 billion by 2030. And Tesco have reported that sales of exotic mushrooms, stuff like shiitake, oyster mushrooms, they're just through the roof. That's really interesting, isn't it? So could it be that people use the processed burgers, the meat alternatives, as their sort of first stepping stone into trying to eat less meat and then become more interested in it and start educating themselves about how to cook? I think it totally could be that. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Like, I think if you're someone who in any case eats lots of chicken nuggets why on earth shouldn't you switch from those to a corn nugget or any other vegetarian, quote-unquote, chicken nugget? Based on taste tests I did a few years ago, the corn nuggets tasted better. And given the conditions in which chicken is kept for mass production, it's a no-brainer, really, to me. But as you say, once you start to think more seriously about vegetarianism, there's been a rise in wonderful vegetarian cookbooks in recent years. That's something that still seems to be growing people, if they look at the bigger picture and think, oh, what do I actually want out of vegetarianism? And they realise they can make themselves delicious things at home, which might be cheaper than these ultra-processed things they can buy in the supermarket. I think that's really positive. I want to talk a bit more about the nutrition of plant-based alternatives, the fake meats. You've mentioned several times this term ultra-processed. Lots of people will have seen reports about that recently and a lot of health concerns about it. What exactly is ultra-processed food? So ultra-processed food is a term coined in Brazil a bit over 10 years ago. And the idea was to try and name and classify these new foods in the world that didn't exist a few generations ago to try and then start measuring the extent to which they were implicated, both in the rise in obesity, but also the rise in diet-related ill health, heart disease, diabetes, and other things like asthma. And the thought is that there are four different categories of food. There's foods that are basically unprocessed, that's category one. Then there's culinary ingredients, which are things like oil, sugar, flour. Then there's category three, which is simple processed foods. So that might be something like cheese or a can of tomatoes, a can of chickpeas. But then category four is ultra processed. And these are foods which, like the Beyond Burger or most supermarket veggie sausages or nuggets, they contain emulsifiers, preservatives, ingredients you probably can't even pronounce. And they will often also include techniques like extruding or things that just wouldn't be done with home cooking. And there's now been study after study after study showing that high consumption of these foods is linked 
with worse outcomes when it comes to diet-related ill health and even things like depression, higher rates of mental health problems are linked to higher consumption of ultra-processed food. And the problem is, if you look at the UK, more than half of what most people eat is ultra-processed. So it sounds like a really weird futuristic term, but actually ultra-processed food, it includes sliced bread, it includes lots of things that people would think of as health foods like low-fat yogurts and all kinds of ready meals and ready-made sandwiches, but also all of these plant-based alternatives. So really tricky to avoid. And I wonder if there's been like a slight naivety from people of associating veganism with health without necessarily thinking about the components that it would take to make up a balanced diet. If you are comparing a meat hot dog with a vegetarian hot dog, there's every reason that you should choose the vegetarian hot dog because the meat hot dog it is still ultra-processed it will contain nitrites and nitrates, which have been implicated in high incidence of bowel cancer. An animal will have had to suffer hideous death to produce it. And it probably doesn't actually taste that different from the vegan one. But recently, the criticism in the media of ultra-processed foods has seemed to focus on the veggie products, not on meat. And it does seem anecdotally, looking at some of these headlines, that some meat eaters are quite delighted that they can now say, look, this stuff isn't as healthy as you thought it was. It's more the kind of urban politicised vegan who is keen on badging themselves vegan that's the sort of person who's buying Beyond Meat, the sort of person who's buying um, fake meat. So it essentially becomes a fashion statement about saying who and what you are rather than being something that is driven by your internal moral compass. One of the things that has gone on, which has been going on for years, I mean, as I said, these companies have announced they want to be disruptors of the meat industry. The meat industry is one of the most profitable in the world, and they have one of the most powerful lobbying groups, including on social media, and they have been consistently putting out messages against plant-based meats, deriding them as being fake, talking about them as ultra-processed. You might need a PhD to understand what's in synthetic meat. Fake bacon and burgers can have dozens of chemical ingredients. If you can't spell it or pronounce it, maybe you shouldn't be eating it. Bacon. B-A-C-O-N. They actually are ultra-processed. There are serious questions that Vegetarians might want to ask about how often they eat these products. But the thing that the meat lobby never says is that there are plenty of meat-based things that people eat which fall into that category too. Coming up, how will the industry adapt to keep people eating plant-based alternatives? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. 
If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. I'm interested in the role that governments have to play in how much vegan food we eat compared to meat. Obviously, across the EU and in the US, dairy and meat farmers are subsidised by governments. But presumably, there isn't that much support given by governments to vegan alternative producers. That's a really interesting question. And so far as I'm aware, no, I think that's absolutely right. I don't think there is. I do worry that the argument gets framed way too much at a policy level of like, we need to cut down on meat, therefore we need all of these meat alternatives. But what we definitely should be doing is encouraging farmers in Britain and beyond to grow more oats, to grow more beans, to grow more pulses. We've got a brilliant climate. Even chickpeas can be grown in the UK. So I'd like to see more of that. Ironically, since there's been the five-a-day campaign in the UK, the amount of land given over to growing fruit and vegetables has actually shrunk considerably. Wow. Okay, that five fruit and vegetables a day. Five fruit and vegetables a day is the government advice, but the government never puts its money where its mouth is, where it comes to food and agriculture. And it's even more important in the wake of Brexit because still we get so much of our fruit and veg from countries like Spain and Italy. Whether it would make sense for them to subsidise mass production of veggie burgers, I don't know. If people are going off plant-based alternatives, how might the industry respond? What could they develop? One way in which people keep saying there's going to be growth, cellular meat, lab-grown meat. For the first time, U.S. regulators approved the sale of chicken made from animal cells. The cultivated meat is grown in steel tanks using cells that come from a living animal, a fertilized egg, or a special bank of stored cells. Which people would argue is, as a food, it's every bit as quote-unquote natural as meat. I mean, a lot of people would actually say meat as it's produced in the world today is not natural at all. There's nothing natural about a factory farm chicken or about cattle crammed into the kind of feedlots in which they're kept in the US. I just can't quite get my head around the cellular meat thing, but maybe there's going to be some huge paradigm shift and that industry could be poised to deliver us 
cruelty-free meat. What do you think the recent decline in sales of fake meat tell us about where we are with veganism now? It's really hard to know exactly how to read it because you can't actually ask someone what their motivation is at the point that they stop buying it. I do think it means that people are waking up to problems with ultra-processed food. What they're buying instead of the Beyond Burger is really the million-dollar question, and we don't know that. We didn't really know even how people were using them before, the extent to which they were being used by vegans, the extent to which they were bought in households where maybe the mum and dad were eating meat and the kids weren't, the extent to which people were being flexitarian and dabbling a bit, and now maybe they're dabbling a bit less. I think it's much too soon to sound any kind of death knell for the plant-based meat substitute industry. Every time you have one of these massive boom industries. You have rise, 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 and then you have this trough. And all we're in now is the trough. And what really matters is how it bounces back from that. And I think that's the interesting question for the next few years. What are they going to invent next? Because the way industries responded, I mean, it's very sad that people have lost jobs. They've cut down on product lines. But actually, there's been a UK plant-based company that has seen really big growth it is called This. This sales have been up 58% in 2023. The brand was named by Elantra as the UK's fastest growing food or drinks company over the past two years. So that suggests that maybe there is an appetite. The thing I haven't maybe mentioned enough of is taste. Mm. People are very fickle as consumers. And if you buy something once and think it doesn't quite match what I wanted, you may not go back to it. But with oat milk, I think... That was how they finally won people over. Years ago, I can picture tasting it at big food expo stalls and thinking, just no, no way are people going to want this in coffee. And now, of the people I know who drink oat milk, which is so many of the people I know, people say they love the taste. Yeah. So that's got to be where you look with any product launch, isn't it? How do you actually get people to not just buy it once, but want to keep coming back for the taste beyond the novelty of it. Exactly. There's no way that this can be an industry in decline because actually the one that really does need to be completely rethought is the meat industry. That's the one that we should be discussing as an industry in crisis or an industry that needs reinvention. Whereas the plant-based thing, it's going to grow. It's going to grow in some form but I would love to see it growing in people's own kitchens through more delicious homemade vegetarian food. B, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to talk to you. That was B Wilson. She's got a new book out called The Secret of Cooking. And I can say it's one of the only recipe books that I would happily sit and read as if it was a novel. It's part memoir, and if you're familiar with Bee's writing, you'll expect this as well. It's peppered with tidbits from historical recipe books as well as scientific research. There are also some great vegan recipes in there. There's a lentil ragu, which is delicious, and a homemade Burmese tofu. We asked the government for a response on how they're supporting fruit and vegetable farmers, and a spokesperson for the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs said... We will continue to spend £2.4 billion backing British farmers 
and our new farming schemes will support fruit and veg growers to produce food profitably and sustainably, including £600 million in grants for equipment. We're also allocating 45,000 seasonal workers this year and next to ensure growers have the workforce they need to put fresh produce on our tables, and at a fair price too, with our review into fairness in the horticultural supply chain. This episode was produced by Courtney Youssef and sound designed by Solomon King. The executive producers were Hummer Khalili and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.